TuneIn is the audio platform with something for everyone. News. In order to secure convictions in a court of law, it is essential that we conclusively. Sports. That clock at four. Donchich. The step back three. You bet. Music. You set my world on fire. And even podcasts. Whatever you love, hear it right here. On TuneIn, go to TuneIn.com or download the TuneIn app to start listening. Odyssey celebrates the class of 2024, brought to you by T-Mobile. You can count on T-Mobile to help you stay connected on America's largest 5G network. Get more at 971talk.com. Man, what an insane week this has been. Hey, this is Wiggins America. Thanks for being here. I know we say that a lot. We say that a lot because every week it seems like something is happening in American history that has never happened before. And so when everything is news and everything is history, is anything history? Well, yes, it is. It still is. So bear with me here. But let me recap this week for you. If you haven't been paying attention, it's a great time to tune in because it's been a historic week. Another one. At the beginning of the week. So it's, it, was, it was really a tale of Monday, Tuesday was one big news story. And then Wednesday, Thursday, actually it was Tuesday that it switched. So let's say Monday and then Tuesday half. Then half of Tuesday and Wednesday. Then Thursday and Friday. So you get three big historic news stories that are, I don't know that they're unprecedented. Some of them are, but are all of them. Mostly, yes. Most of most of the the news stories of this week are unprecedented. And you're going, Ryan, I think I know what you're talking about. But let's compare our notes and see if we have the same three. We probably should. Here's what happened at the beginning of the week. You had the former president sitting in court on indictments for things that happened so long ago that even the very, very biased judge, and I'm going to get into this in detail at the beginning of next hour, but the very, very biased judge has said that most of it is past the statute of limitations. This is stuff that the attorney general who's bringing this case would and should know, probably does know, and is doing it anyway. So it leaves it with about 20% of the case left, which they should have known from the get-go would have been all the case was, does that mean he's off the hook? Absolutely not. But you're talking about political prosecution. And you go, Ryan, it's not just political prosecution. I'm on the left. I don't believe you. Well, here is Letitia James, the attorney general, who's bringing all this stuff up in New York. Here's her campaigning. Start with one person. I say one one name, Donald Trump. That should motivate you. Get off your ass and vote. Will you, will you sue him for us? Oh, we're going to definitely sue him. We're going to be a real pain in the ass. He's going to know my name personally. I love it. He probably does already. We need to focus on Donald Trump and his abuses. We need to follow his money. Individuals who care about, again, going after Donald Trump's illegitimate government president. Running for attorney general because I will never be afraid to challenge this illegitimate president when our fundamental rights are at stake. We must do our job to ensure that the man currently occupying the Oval Office is held accountable to any and everything he has done. Keeping in mind that when she was um, campaigning and saying these things, she had no idea what the crime was. And the eventual crime, quote unquote, that she has found now of real estate 
business. <laughs> That's all it is. It's just real estate business. Again, I'm going to get into this in detail at the beginning of next hour. Uh, is not a crime, first of all. And secondly, she wouldn't have known anything about it. So everything that she thought she was going to find about who knows what. I mean, really, who knows what she was going to find? She didn't even know. She clearly was just campaigning on, you don't like the president. I'll go after the president for you. Vote for me. That's a montage of a few different clips. I stole that from Mark Cox and Carl. Thanks, you guys. Thanks for doing all the work. I get to take the benefit. Um, But President Trump has not been silent this week. He has been talking outside the courthouse, not just on Truth Social. That's common. Now, he's talking and doing basically press briefings outside of the courthouse every single day. This one is from Wednesday. And they have no case. And today, if you read the New York Law Journal, they basically say they have no case against Trump. But I'm here, stuck here, and I can't campaign. I'd rather be right now in Iowa. I'd rather be in New Hampshire or South Carolina or Ohio or a lot of other places, but I'm stuck here because I have a corrupt attorney general that communicates with the DOJ in Washington to keep me nice and busy because I'm leading Biden in the polls by a lot. Mr. They made up a fake case. They're fraudulent people. And the judge already knows what he's going to do. He's a Democrat judge. In all fairness to him, he has no choice. He has no choice. And that is huge news. So that this is a big, big deal. You have the former president of the United States in court. He's been indicted. Not only just one time, but this is just the first of many times you're going to see the former president of the United States in court. I can't believe those words are coming out of my mouth, but they have enough that you kind of get used to it. This is happening in America. They could, they could seize his businesses from him under New York law. Whether that'll happen, I don't know, but it is possible. This is the United States that you're living in. And that was just Monday. Like I said... This has been a massive, massive, historic, precedent-setting news week. We move on to the second story, which I'm sure you're familiar with. That one, honestly, I don't even know if that's breaking through anymore. That Trump stuff, people are so sick of it. Everybody knows. I mean, I look at polls all the time. Everybody knows. Even Democrats know that this is political persecution. Some of them are just okay with it. They, but they acknowledge it. Here's what happened midweek. If you weren't paying attention, this one broke through. I think most people knew that this had happened for whatever reason, probably because there are names and and faces associated with it because it's almost like gossip column stuff when you have Kevin McCarthy over here on this side of the ring and you have Matt Gates over here on this side of the ring. It's been a throwdown. And I got to tell you, when you, you have political processes playing out in public like this, I actually prefer it. The the closed door stuff is the way most stuff gets done, but the speaker stuff, that has had to have happened mostly on the floor, even during the extended 15 votes that finally gave him the speakership. That was all happening for us to watch live, and that was the way it's intended. It's the people's house. It's the people's floor, so we all got to watch it, and we got to watch it again this week. What do you think about it? We did a poll in the Annie Fry show. Are you team Gates or are you team McCarthy or are you neither? Neither kind of won. And then we took calls and asked after the thing was over, 
which side are you on? You're you on Gates, you're on McCarthy, <clears throat> and didn't give neither as an option. And <clears throat> the results were basically split right down the middle. I think everybody, including myself, can see it from both sides. You see that they're working on getting things done, passing conservative legislation, specifically spending legislation. And you got a lot of uh, good-intentioned people, conservative Republicans, trying to get good conservative issues into the spending bill and other things. You know, the investigations, the impeachment inquiry, for God's sake, all the things that are happening. And they're really frustrated by Matt Gates, who has basically upended the whole process. Now, when you hear Matt Gates speak, he talks about, yeah, that's the point. I'm upending the whole process because we all have a fever. At some point, somebody's going to have to break this fever. We can't just keep spending. We can't just go, oh, well, we're going to cut spending by a couple percent or even 8%. That would be great. Uh, but, but we can't just keep doing that and expect that we're going to somehow spend our way out of this. Cutting it from $5 trillion to $4.95 trillion is not the solution. So I hear that too, and I go, hey, good for you, man. Throw the apple cart down and make it happen. The question is just, what are you accomplishing? I don't know that he's got the plan, but he was upset with the way Kevin McCarthy was following through on some of those promises. So I really do kind of see both sides, and I like when people are willing to put it all on the line. I just question whether this is the time to do that or the way to do that. Is this accomplishing that? Let's hear from Thomas Massey. Because when I when I hear all these people that I'm like, you know what, I kind of respect all these people, and they're very much on opposite sides of this issue with the speaker. Then I grab somebody and I go, well, then what about this guy? Thomas Massey is one of those guys. Me, Rand Paul would be in the Senate for me. When they, they speak, I go, I'm listening. Because you're kind of independent of everybody else. You kind of think outside the box. But I don't know, you know, I kind of want to know what you think. Thomas Massey's one of those guys. He gave a pretty extended speech. I'm going to play that. It's about a minute and a half long here. I'm going to play the whole thing. See what you think about what he's saying about the getting rid of the speaker process. See if you agree. Mr. Speaker, as the only still serving co-author and co-sponsor of the motion to vacate Speaker Boehner, I can tell you this motion to vacate is a terrible idea. Is the only member who's serving here who took every chance to vote against Speaker Boehner and to vote against Speaker Ryan. I can tell you that this chamber has, run, has been run better, more conservatively, and more transparently under Mr. McCarthy than any other speaker that I have served under. As a member of the Rules Committee, one, one, of, three, one of three conservatives who were placed there out of trust, the Speaker gave us a blocking position by putting three of us on there to keep an eye on the Rules Committee to make sure the process was fair and even. I can tell you it's been fair and even. None of us are voting against the Speaker today. Regular order is at odds with predetermined outcomes. Yet the Speaker is, is being accused of not holding to regular order and predetermined outcomes at the same time. It is not possible. You cannot be for both at the same time. I was a party to the January agreement, and I can tell you that there were promises in there, but, but there was never a promise for an outcome. There was never a promise that you could force Joe Biden to sign something. There was only the promise that we would try, and try we have. 
We have tried in the Rules Committee. We have tried on the floor. We've been trying this since this summer. And there's enough blame to go around for why we don't have 12 bills. But part of it was a relitigation of the debt limit deal. By the way, there was no promise on the debt limit deal. No conditions on that in January. Zero whatsoever. I was in the room for that. So the 12 bills were delayed over what? $100 billion. That's a lot of money. But it's nothing compared to the $2 trillion that I came here to object to when Speaker Pelosi and President Trump pushed that bill through. We've had over 500 amendments. Listen, this is a, this is a referendum on this institution. We have tried regular order. Speaker McCarthy has tried regular order. If regular order fails today, if you vacate the Speaker, nobody is going to try it again. time has expired. This institution will fail. Please do not vacate the Speaker. I wanted to play his full comments. That's what they are. Massey is an absolute fiscal conservative. He's a conservative across the board, but he is fiscally very, very smart about getting things done and getting cuts done. And there are Republicans like him that I very much respect who are furious at Matt Gates. For his part, here is some commentary from Matt Gates. A little bit shorter, but I wanted to give him his time too. I don't think voting against Kevin McCarthy is chaos. I think $33 trillion in debt is chaos. I think that facing a $2.2 trillion annual deficit is chaos. I think that not passing single subject spending bills is chaos. I think the fact that we have been governed in this country since the mid 90s by continuing resolution and omnibus is chaos. And the way to liberate ourselves from that is a series of reforms to this body that I would hope would outlast Speaker McCarthy's time here, would outlast my time here, and would outlast either of our majorities. Man, I don't disagree with anything he's saying there either. That's what's so tough about this, is really it's about process. Are you mad at him because he's upending the process? Because they're saying Republicans were moving in the right direction. We're getting things passed. We're getting things done in the House. Don't know whether they would pass the Senate. They were probably going to have to be negotiated with the President of the United States. But they were getting things done. And now it's all ground to a halt. The investigations, the impeachment inquiry, all that kind of stuff has stopped because now they don't have a Speaker of the House. There's a lot of people that are mad about that. I don't know. I don't know. I'm kind of okay with the chaos because the point is in in one year, we'll probably still be alive. In 25 years, if we're $50 trillion in debt, can this stop that? I don't know. But if it can, then let's do it now. Let's go through the pain now instead of going through worse pain later. If this is that, that's the big question. So you're going, okay, Ryan, that's the second story. That's the second big story of the week. I get it. Those are two unprecedented things. A sitting speaker has never been thrown out of that seat before. First time in American history. Pretty big deal. So two big deals. What's the third one? I'm going to read the headline here from Fox News. You probably heard about it. Mayorkas cites immediate need to waive regulations and build a border wall in Texas as immigration surges. The reason that's such a big deal is not just because you go, well, well, look who's come to the party. It's because they actually are flipping. And the reason for it is because they serve only their party. They do not serve America. 
these Democrats in charge, and there's Republicans that do this too, but these Democrats in charge right now are so self-satisfied and so self-serving that they only do things that are going to benefit themselves and their party. The only reason that they are starting to talk about building a border wall again is because A, it works, and B, Democrats are on them now. Governor Pritzker, Eric Adams, mayor of New York, the governors of several other cons- or, uh, blue states. It's happening. And so they're reacting because it's their party. It didn't matter when it was just everyday Americans. It didn't matter when it was random border people. It didn't matter when it was Republicans. It mattered because now it's Democrats. That's the only reason. So they don't actually care. They don't care about this issue. They don't care about people in general. They care about themselves. They care about Democrats. The big question is, who has been telling Mayorkas, or is it Mayorkas himself, who is been, who's been making the decision to have an open border? Who's been making the decision to basically flood America with illegal immigrants? I don't know the answer to that question. I really want to know because that's where the power lies. We've gone really long this first break. I promise you we're going to get to some other stuff. Um, in fact, did you know that you're a murderer? Yeah, if you like Trump, you very well might be. You didn't know that you were. You're not actively murdering people, but you might. So we'll talk about that next. We'll get Trisha in this hour, too. Stick around. Big day, big hour. We'll be right back. Hey, this is just a friendly reminder that the... Tune in is the audio platform with something for everyone. News. In order to secure convictions in a court of law, it is essential that we conclusively... Sports. Back clock at four. Donchich. The step back three. You bet. Music. You set my world on fire. And even podcasts. Whatever you love, hear it right here on TuneIn. Go to TuneIn.com or download the TuneIn app to start listening. Odyssey celebrates Father's Day. Brought to you by T-Mobile. You can count on T-Mobile to help you stay connected on America's largest 5G network. Left does not want violence. They want us to ratchet down the crazy talk uh, because we are the violent ones. We on the right are violent and they are the pacifists. They are just trying to make everybody get along. We need to ratchet it down. That's why when you listen to MSNBC, all they're trying to do is just calm everything. MSNBC analyst says Trump supporters are likely to, to kill <laughs> I'm reading the headline here. I'm just reading the headline. I'll read the story to you. A political analyst is warning that a small subset of Donald Trump supporters are highly likely to try to kill people as the former president's rhetoric continues to become more violent. So they're just trying to turn down the volume a little bit by telling us that there are people on the right who are likely, in fact, highly likely to start murdering people Going into 2024, during an interview on MSNBC Sunday, Brian Kloss, an associate professor in global politics at University College London, was asked how concerned people should be about Trump's increasingly violent rhetoric. So it's not it's not them. They're not saying this. They're saying that we're saying this. He says, quote, it's the biggest story of the 2024 election, but it's not being treated like that. 
in the press, I think that's a real failing because it has become the banality of crazy incitement to violence, this sort of normalcy and routine of, the Trump, of Trump saying things that could get people killed. So he wants to just turn down the volume a little bit. You have him, and here's his examples of Trump doing this. You have him suggesting that you could execute America's top general. If you saw that quote, that's not what he said. Uh, but then he goes on to say, on Friday night, he joked about Paul Pelosi being attacked and the crowd laughed when he was referencing an 82-year-old man being hit over the head with a hammer, Kloss said. So they're just taking what Trump said. They're just saying that he's violent and he has, says violent things, that he's the one inciting violence. But they, you know what? But they're, they're misquoting Trump. So who's really inciting violence here? Uh, because Trump, if you saw that quote, it's actually pretty funny. He says, yeah, two grown men in their underwear, one of them holding a hammer. And everybody laughs. <laughs> well, that's inciting violence, apparently. Um, <laughs> just because he's willing to say what everybody thinks. He goes, that's really weird. Actually, he says, uh, two grown men in their underwear, one of them a male prostitute, one of them holding the hammer. You know, that was something like that. And it, it, everybody laughed because everybody's like, yeah, that's it's weird. Uh, even though nobody knows what in the world was happening. He's willing to say it, you know, from the stage. But this host is saying, but that's inciting violence. Violence, because the way he says it, I'm going to read it again. He says, joked about Paul Pelosi being attacked, and the crowd laughed when he was referencing an 82-year-old man being hit over the head with a hammer. He goes on. He called to execute people who shoplift from stores, a very minor crime, and one to take seriously, but obviously not worthy of execution. Also, he has demonized a variety of people in his various outlets on Truth Social and his discussions in front of crowds. No quote there, just saying he demonizes people. Um, Klaas said the behaviors are all related to, related to a term called stochastic terrorism. It's an academic jargon term, but basically what it means is when someone who is very powerful and influential targets or demonizes individual groups in the public. At least a small number of their followers will take them as marching orders. And, of course, they will begin to murder. So just what I read just there, you were talking about demonizing certain groups. I would agree that that is something that dictators and uh, fear mongers will do. They will do that. Uh, but here's the quotes he gave. Just, just reminding you here, he gave a quote about uh, General Milley, Paul Pelosi, and then the only group that he references in there is shoplifters. <laughs> so he's he's worried, I guess, about protecting shoplifters from hate crimes. I, I don't know what you'd call those because it would be any group of people or race that would be shoplifting. Uh, then he goes on. He's, he's like, no, it not, it's not just about those groups that I already just mentioned there. Really was just one group, shoplifters. Uh, but he goes on to say, here are the groups that he's talking about. His intended victims include former Vice President Joe Biden, Senator Cory Booker, former CIA. Oh, it's talking about a guy who was mailing pipe bombs to Trump critics uh, named Caesar Sayoc, which I, I've never even heard of this before. Um, actually, maybe vaguely in the back of my brain. He, his intended victims included Vice President Joseph Biden, Senator Cory Booker, former CIA Director John Brennan, Director of National Intelligence James Clapper, Secretary of State Hillary Clinton, CNN, Robert De Niro, Kamala Harris, former Attorney General Eric Holder, former President Barack Obama, George Soros, Thomas Steyer, 
and Representative Maxine Waters. Once again, um, none of these people groups, other than I guess CNN would be a group, but all of the people that he's listing are not groups. So his entire premise is that this is called stochastic terrorism, which identifies groups, isolates them for attack. Not a single group other than CNN and shoplifters does he list. And this list is people that aren't listed by Trump at all. These are some random dude who wanted to pipe bomb people and didn't do it uh, because he was unsuccessful at it. Let me let me point to some real life examples because they would say January 6th was a big deal and say that was the, the terrorism we're talking about. But who was the group? Who was the stochastic terrorist group they were identifying there? Who Congress? A bipartisan Congress? I don't know. The, the whole premise of this is so stupid, but it's the kind of stuff that sounds really official because he is a professor in global politics at Universal College, University College London. Um, and he's on MSNBC talking about these things. He sounds very official. But his whole premise doesn't even make any sense, even with the, in the confines of his own dissertation here. So who, who actually is the recipient of violence lately? Well, I can think of a, a few uh, just offhand. Um, businesses, anybody in the inner city in 2020 who had to deal with boarding up their windows, um, who had to deal with fires and looting and violence, oh, that actually continues in big cities, not just because of political persecution. You know, they, they, they shrouded it in politics in 2020. Really, it was just nonsense. It was just a bunch of crazy people just going nuts and, and shrouding it in politics and saying, well, this is for a cause. And they got protection for that. They got bailed out of jail by the vice president of the United States now, Kamala Harris. Uh, who else has been a recipient of violence? I mean, you could list a lot of individuals. You could say Steve Scalise is one. We've been talking about him this week. He was shot by a uh, crazy Democrat at a congressional baseball game. Um, who almost? Oh, yeah, Brett, Brett Kavanaugh. I mean, somebody tried to assassinate Brett Kavanaugh based on his politics. So these people, they, they love to talk in these vague terms that don't really make any sense when you analyze them. And then in real life, it still doesn't bear out the way that they're hoping it does. The only arguments I've ever had with leftists on this topic, it's very difficult to argue with them because they'll cite the FBI. They'll say, well, the FBI has determined that this group is a terrorist organization, this group, but these other groups aren't. And they'll use the FBI. Well, the FBI has been doing this for years where they attack right-wing groups. The IRS has been doing it. We know they were doing it at least in 2014, probably before. But that's on record. This stuff is everywhere. They spin, spin, spin that it's right-wing violence that needs to be controlled and needs to be rooted out. When, in fact, it's just violence in general. I'm not going to say it's all Democrats either. I'm just going to say it's just Violence. Violence is on the rise. If we're going to actually address the topic, let's talk about why people are so much more violent, are willing to, to do crime, willing to murder. Why is inner city crime so high? Why is murder up? Why is theft up? Why is all this stuff up? But nobody wants to actually talk about that issue. They want to couch it in uh, pre-existing uh, ideologies, uh, you know, a lot of them po political, but a lot of them even more social than that. They want to make it racial. They want to make it socioeconomic. 
Uh, and it's, it's much more based on poverty than it is on race at all. But even that doesn't quite solve it. But who's actually talking about that? Nobody really. Because the academics who are supposed to be the ones who are the bleeding hearts who talk about this stuff, they've been completely co-opted by the left into academics that just basically just use race as a precursor for everything. So the people who are trying to solve these things or should be solving these things are not. We'll stop there. Take a break. Come right back with the weekly Boy, I went long in that first segment and the second, so I got a couple of little short segments to end this hour with. We'll be back in the next one with Trisha and Old Roy again, too. Really looking forward to that Old Roy segment. That's going to be a weird one. Yep, I did say weird, and I did say looking forward to. Stick around for it. Uh, between now and then, I did this segment on the Annie Fry Show this week. Different things that California is a harbinger of, or hopefully not a harbinger of in these cases, because what happens in America happens first in California. Just if you didn't hear that that segment really quick, the three that I covered were that the top California teachers union wants homeless people to start sleeping in its public school parking lots. And the story here isn't really about the homeless so much as it is about the unions themselves. The union acknowledges that they're not really talking about school-related things anymore, and that this priority alone would cost an additional half a million dollars to one school district in Fresno, says the union president, Manuel Bonilla. But he says he's pursuing an attempt to address what he calls, quote, societal things. It has nothing to do with the school. Uh, The union's effort to turn its parking lots into homeless safe havens reflects a broader push from teachers unions across the country to use their bargaining power to actualize left wing priorities. Also in California, in Oakland, for example, unionized teachers in May shut down the public city schools for two weeks after demanding reparations for black students in their contract proposals. Unionized teachers in Portland, Oregon, similarly threatened to strike if their district refused to provide subsidized housing for poor students. Some of this stuff isn't even close to being related to school stuff. The other one was zero emission zones in California are shutting down the classic car industry. The other is that you can't buy new insurance for your home with State Farm or Allstate anymore in California because they're not selling any more policies. They're too expensive. They can't sell policies. State Farm and and, and Allstate, they're not going to do it. They're not going to do it anymore because it costs them too much. The one story that I didn't get to in those, though, was, well, I'll I'll, I'll slow down because I don't want to get ahead of where this law went. There was a law that was attempted to be passed by the California State Assembly. This woman, Lori Wilson, was the co-author of this legislation, which did pass the California State Assembly listened to what she was proposing. What's mentioned in the law is the child's gender identity and expression and the parent's affirmation of that, whatever it is, because that is our duty as parents to affirm our children. So what that bill did, now it didn't pass. It got vetoed by Newsom, I do believe. Amazingly, Gavin Newsom vetoed this bill, but it's probably just because people like us started yelling about it. And there are a lot of us types of people in California, surprise, surprise. 
that when you start yelling about this kind of stuff, they do take notice, especially when somebody like Yunkin wins in Virginia because parents' uprisings, they are very afraid of. So they will back off if you push hard enough on something like this. What this law would have done is said that in any sort of custody battle, uh, the child's gender identity affirmation would be taken into consideration by the judge or would have to be taken into consideration by the judge in the custody battle to make sure that the parent was affirming whatever the child said they were. No matter what it was, if the dad or the mom was saying, no, I disagree with you, that was considered abuse, mental abuse, and it could cost the custody of the child, as in the state could step in and take custody if necessary because that was considered child abuse. That was vetoed. Good thing. But I did want to mention it because this stuff is getting closer. It's getting closer and closer. And hey, what happens first in California happens to the rest of the country, doesn't it? Hate to say that. Stick around. Another really short segment before we get to the top of the hour. We'll be right back. Okay, if you listen to Ryan Wiggins, that's my name, on the Annie Fry Show, and you listen to my segment called Wiggins America on the Annie Fry Show, it's a much shorter version of this two-hour show that airs every weekend. Um, but I, uh, I wanted to bring something out of my segments from the Annie Fry Show into this show, which I sometimes do, um, but less often than I wish I would. I just forget to do it. You know, just constantly making new material because the news is never stopping. This week has been especially one of those heavy news weeks. Um, but what I have for you is something that we had a long time ago during the Trump impeachments. What we ended up calling it was impeaches and cream. So we'd make it into this soap opera called impeaches and cream. And we'd just play the day's audio of whatever they were talking about impeaching president Trump. I think that either this aired once and we never used it again or it never aired, there was a version of Impeaches and Cream that I stumbled upon that I thought, oh, it's kind of it's kind of apropos for what we're going through now. It's called While You Were Impeaching. And it's a similar theme. Um, but so I'm going to play that here for a second. Then I'm going to play some audio from this week. And the point of the audio is that we were going through an impeachment inquiry. Now we're not. Now, some people are really mad about that. Some people are glad that the whole cart's been overturned. But I'm just here as a casual observer to tell you that we're no longer going through the impeachment inquiry right now. On today's episode of While You Were Impeaching. I'm not quite sure those individuals are looking to be productive. Um, it concerns me as a Republican based upon watching what they do. I want to be a Republican and a conservative that governs. And we're going to have to find our way to do that. They're the same people that sat on the floor and criticized me that we didn't get all 12 spending bills done, but we first had to do a debt ceiling that they didn't support. They held up every appropriation bill in the summer because they wouldn't let it come through. After the debt ceiling, they stopped us from doing anything on the floor. When we had a continuing resolution that would do something on the border, I listened to one talk about how it made him think about the border and when he voted against it. Now, that's the Republican, former Republican leader in the House. Here's the Republican leader in the Senate. I just find this stuff interesting. I have no advice to give uh, to House Republicans except one. I hope whoever the next speaker is gets rid of the motion to vacate. 
I think it makes the speaker's job impossible. And the American people expect us to have a functioning government. The American people don't expect you to have a functioning government. They expect you not spend beyond your means and you constantly fail them. Uh, that's beside the point, though. I do want to mention that the only reason this motion to vacate existed and was successful is that those, uh, it's not quite eight, it's five who are really passionate, who are like the anti-establishment people, the Gates crew, and then there are about ten more who are sympathetic to it, who at any given time might vote with them. This time it was eight, and Nancy Mason there too. That was kind of a surprise. Um, but in this case, the only reason they had the motion to vacate is because that was part of the negotiation. So I'm not sure what Mitch McConnell is thinking here that this could go away because <clears throat> that's part of the negotiation to get a speaker right now. Those 5 to 15 people, they're making sure that they can have the motion to vacate because of exactly this kind of things. They're saying there was a process we agreed to that you told us that you were going to agree to that you didn't follow. So we're going to vacate you. We're going to get you out of here, put you on vacation. And in fact, I don't think it's the worst thing possible because then if you if you have an untouchable speaker, he really can just go back on his promises if he did. Now, I'm not saying that's exactly what happened here. I know a lot of good Republicans, good conservatives, like Chip Roy. I mean, that dude's pretty rock solid. So I get it. I'm not saying like, hey, all Gates here. I'm saying there's a lot of nuance here. And I do find it, you know, this is my job. This kind of stuff's fascinating to me. I don't know about you, but this piques my interest. All right, we got another hour coming up of Wiggins America to talk about this and many other things. So stay here. Get more at 971talk.com. Tune in is the audio platform with something for everyone. News. In order to secure convictions in a court of law, it is essential that we conclusively. Sports. That clock at four. Donchich. The step back three. You bet. Music. You set my world on fire. And even podcasts. Whatever you love, hear it right here. On TuneIn, go to TuneIn.com or download the TuneIn app to start listening. Odyssey celebrates Father's Day, brought to you by T-Mobile. You can count on T-Mobile to help you stay connected on America's largest 5G network. 